All right, now it's the race turn. Uh, no, no, it's my turn. Is it? Yeah, it goes Obson, then me, then the Wraith. Oh, I, I guess that's right. What do you want to do? I'll use my Staff of Undead Obliteration. What? When did you get that? You gave it to me to use as a reward during last session, remember? Hmm. Maybe an army of the undead wasn't such a great challenge after all. This time on Becoming a DM, we're talking about the important skills that a DM needs to make sure that their campaign is a success. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Felicia. And before we get started and dive into the topic, I want to just say that these are kind of the, the five or six, maybe seven uh, skills that we saw as, as important for DMs. You probably have other skills that you think are important, and we would love to hear what they are. So uh, as you're going through this, if you say, why, why didn't they think of this skill? Let us know. Send us a, send us a message, and we'll, uh, we'll read it out in the mid-roll in a future episode and go from there. Uh, so let's go ahead and get started. So that, that first, and I think this is probably, in my mind, most important skill for a DM to have yeah. is going to be organization. Mm. And there's there's so much that can be encompassed when we say organization. Yeah, though. it's very comprehensive. Um, but I, I think that, that if we just go back to what we said in the opener, uh, keeping track of turns mm. is is one of those those key things. And however you do it, it's really important to be organized to that because your players will start to call you out on it. Yeah, for sure. And this is uh, especially important as your groups get larger as well. Yeah, because when you have seven people at the table and another nine or ten monsters on the battlefield, <laughs> it yeah. can get really difficult to, to, especially if you're tracking your monsters' initiatives separately, mm -hmm. you really have to stay on top of that. And I know you and I do it a little differently. Yeah. Um, I use a, an app. Uh, so I, I play um, Pathfinder a lot of the time, and I use an app for Pathfinder called Combat Tracker. Mm -hmm. But when I uh, run games for D&D, there's an app on the iPad and I'm not going to remember what it's called right now, but it, it also tracks that initiative. So you yeah. put in all your monsters, you put in what the players rolled, and then it'll roll the monsters initiative for you as well. Yeah. But you do it differently. I, I just do good old-fashioned <laughs> pen and paper or pencil and paper, write it down. It's, it is, yes, I, I think arguably it's more, it is more tedious. And I, I definitely think it's probably one of the areas as a DM that I struggle with. But um, that's just, I, I have a thing where I just really like writing things down. It helps me just to sort of, focus on it and to really keep track of things. It's just, it's just my personal preference. And there are, I, I will admit, there are a lot of people out there that, that pen and paper, pencil and paper is the only way that they will, they will play the game. Yeah. And there are aspects of it that I do that are, that are on paper and, and some that are digital. And I mm -hmm. kind of have a weird mishmash of <laughs> what goes where. Yeah. Uh, but as long as you can keep track of it and it works for you. Yes. Um, and you continue to refer to it as mm -hmm. the combat goes through. So you're keeping track of whose turn it is. Yeah. Then, uh, then that should be fine. And I think like the other thing to keep in mind is, you know, a lot of people like think of, you know, turns as, as solely like, you know, combat oriented. But, you know, there's other things where, you know, if you're going into a certain area, like what order are your players entering that particular area? What order are they walking through the tunnel? Um, because, you know, never mind, there, there could be like an element of surprise. They could be going mm -hmm. through a forest and you're going to spring something on them. So, you know, it's not so much just only the order of turns, but just the order in which they're walking or, you know, um, 
going into a specific area that's also important for you to keep track of. Yeah, and it also could affect things like if you've got traps in the area, yeah. who's the person that's gonna encounter it first? Mm -hmm. and, and if it's somebody that has that lower perception, then they may <laughs> be more likely True. to hit the trap than yeah. if you just have them in a big blob and say, all right, somebody roll perception. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, or when you're at a campsite and you're doing shifts for, you know, oh, this is first watch, second watch, mm -hmm. third watch. Um, again, you know, they organize themselves and then, you know, just depending on what you as the DM decide, uh, you know, they could be attacked by Sturges in the middle of the night. Who knows? You really like the Sturges. I love the Sturges. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but just continuing on the, the theme of organization, mm. um, the spell effects. Mm. And, and when I say spell effects, I mean, this could be uh, the cleric and the party blessing the group so they yeah. get an additional role somewhere which typically the players are going to keep track of, generally Pretty speaking. Good about it, yeah. But they could also be, um, I don't know what the opposite of it is, but we'll say cursing the, <laughs> the, the, uh, the enemies that they're fighting. Yeah. At which point you need to keep track of what you need to do there. Yeah. Um, also, if somebody is, is blind or asleep or whatever for a certain period of time, yes. understanding how many rounds that is and making sure that, that you take the effect off, that, that you use the effect while it's in place and mm -hmm. that you take it off when it's over is also yes, important. Yes, of course. Um, and this kind of ties into, you know, just encounters in general. You know, obviously there's in combat, there's going to be a lot going on. Um, maybe some of the group are entangled. Maybe, like you were saying, there's a spell that was cast that causes, like, your guys, the bad guys, to run away. There could be a healing effect. There can be all sorts of things going on. And then you just have encounters in general. Uh, you know, we were talking about this just slightly earlier about, you know, hey, you have eight skeletons, all with different hit points, you know, and you've got to keep track of them, plus your bad guy. And now three of those five are running away, but five of them are coming towards you. Square root of pi divided by 12 with a northwest wind. There's just a whole lot going on at one time. And keeping your stuff squared away and organized is very important during these times. Yeah, and if you're using, um, if you're using miniatures as part of your battle mm. and they're all on the, on the map... It, it may be easy when you start to say this is this is Goblin One, this is Goblin <laughs> yeah. Two, this is Goblin Three. But when they start moving around, and oh you're like, God. oh, which one? Wh where did Goblin One? Move? I always do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so one of the things that I uh, I haven't done yet, but I'm going to start doing is yeah. is is making little uh, we'll call them like little short pedestals mm. that either are different colors or have numbers on them, so that yeah. I can say this is Goblin One, and yes. the pedestal moves with the Goblin. Yes. Um, Hard lesson learned. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> something that uh, that I haven't done, but I am going to start doing. Uh, I, I definitely am as well, because, uh, yeah, I need to keep better track of my hit points on my <laughs> characters. <laughs> uh, but but organization also extends well outside of combat as well. Yes, yes. Uh, because you've got, uh, as we've talked about in our, our Build Your Own series, you've mm -hmm. got these potential story threads that maybe you've presented to the players, and yeah. they've either gone with or ignored. And if you have... Uh, if you have a world like I run where those story arcs can proceed without the players yeah. because the the nemesis has his plans that he's moving to effect and if he's unhampered, he continues moving forward mm -hmm. or someone's lost and they're dying of starvation and maybe they die. <laughs> but, but keeping track of those threads and their respective timelines yeah. um, is a very important thing, I think, with an organization that... Uh, that becomes a little bit more difficult. If you've got something to track your storyline, sometimes it's simply a matter of after every session, taking a little note on each arc and saying, yeah. this is where we're at. Um, but have you have you ever done anything with that? Any? I mean, I've, I've certainly taken notes and I think things like that tend to be a little more um, prevalent like in the build your own 
campaigns where, like you were saying, those start those arcs can continue because you've created the story, so you know how they're going to run. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, for me, like for the most part, I will I'll take notes, general notes of like what has happened up to a certain point, so that if something changes or if I need to have a certain character do X, Y, and Z to adapt to a different choice that I wasn't expecting, like those are things that I can reference and know how to implement in the next session. Um, most of my organization out of session, outside of like the actual story and plot itself, tends to be just actual logistics of stuff like organizing when the next session is going to take place. Um, how am I even organizing my notes um, when it comes to people's progress, what they've gathered, things like that. Um, you, I know you and I think are a little different in that sense. And that, again, I kind of just go back to the pencil and paper, but you have a program I think you use for that as well. Yeah, so I use I use Trello for keeping a lot of notes on, on my campaign. Mm. Um, so as I flesh out an idea and decide this is something I'm gonna present, I'll create a new new card for that arc, yeah. and every everything about that arc goes in that card. So mm-hmm. if, if the players do something or they ignore something, uh, I update it in there so I know uh, what's happening and what influence the players have had on it. Yes. Uh, additionally, one thing I do out in between sessions mm-hmm. is I make sure, and I know this is also an area where you and I uh, are a little different. Uh, I'll I'll put together a summary of what happened in the last session and post it to a Facebook group that mm-hmm. that everybody in in the session is in, and so it just basically starts the adventure continued, and then I write a. It depends on how long the session was and what all the players did. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a couple of paragraphs. I think the last one I did was four or five paragraphs. <laughs> um, a lot happened. Um, and sometimes it's just of what I'm in the mood to write. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I try to get at least um, at least the important details that the players are going to need to know moving yeah. forward because everybody takes notes to somewhere or the other. I don't want to penalize them because they're taking bad notes mm-hmm. because we're here to play a game, not go to school. Yeah. <laughs> so if I remember it and if I feel like it could be important down the line or it could be something that they might think is important down the line, whether it's important or not, I'll yeah. try to put that in my summary so that they can... A, refer back to it, and B, when we get new players on, they can read through the history uh, mm. if it's applicable and know what's going on to this yeah, point. Yeah, which is a, a very good idea. I think very well organized, and I could certainly take a page, a Facebook page, <laughs> and then I'd be like, oh, she did it. <laughs> um, a couple of things, too, in organization. I think a lot of DMs, when they think organization, they think of their organization, but there are things that can still help you out as a DM in in terms of organization, and that's helping your players organize. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, like spell slots and like the spells that you've used, I've got little colored stones that I hand for people that have spells to keep track of their spells to help them organize themselves. Um, I also have that deck of spell cards. Yeah, those are really useful. Yeah, and and that that helps them like, okay, it's quick reference, it's right there in front of you. Um, And I always provide like paper and pencils at every session. So helping your players organize helps you also indirectly as a DM keep things straight in the way as, uh, or keep things straight as well because you don't have to worry so much about like your, par- your players floundering around trying to figure out their stuff. Yeah, because again, it is a game. If somebody's showing up without a pencil, mm. I mean, you may as well just bring a pencil rather than getting upset that they're not bringing a pencil. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's, it's a, a tenth of a second effort for you to do that yeah. and, and just don't worry about it. Just bring it along. Yeah, just get the pencils. <laughs> <laughs> the end. Um, so... I think that that hits organization pretty well. Yeah. Um, it, well, what do you? What would you consider uh, next on our tour of the DM skills? <laughs> well, my favorite one, I think that I've been hinting at for the past few uh, episodes, um, is attention to detail, aka 
nuances. Yeah, um, and, and when we when you're saying attention to detail, we're really talking about those rules. Yes, yes, um, specifying absolutely knowing your rules. Like, you know, when it, and, I, and I'm referring specifically to D and um, Obviously, you can speak on the on the Pathfinder side of things, but you know, uh, a Dungeon Master guide or even just the player's handbook, knowing just the basics, you know, is is very helpful. When I was DMing, I just, just so often I would just stumble across instances where I didn't know the answer. Um, to certain rules, and, and those small things completely change gameplay. Um, a really great uh, example was like, you know, I was running a campaign and we were in the middle of combat, and, um, you know, players, you know, 30 feet of movement, we had the grid, you know, and um, each of the squares were, you know, five feet of movement, and we didn't discover until later that, hey, you know, normally movement and your action and a bonus action maybe if, if it, the, the circumstances applied. But, you know, typically it's your movement and your action. And that's kind of what I stuck with. And it didn't occur to me until one of the other players brought it up. And I can't remember if it was, if it was you or if it was one of my other players that you could actually split your movement. Mm-hmm. You can move, do an action, and then move again. So long as it didn't exceed your player's amount of movement, like that 30 feet. No idea. I didn't know that. I was like, <laughs> I was like what? That's all. No, that can't be. But... Um, things like that, or attacks of opportunity. If you're going to move by a bad guy, well, then you better be ready to get attacked by him because that's just how that particular rule works. Um, yeah, and and I mean, we talked in episode one mm-hmm. uh, about the you don't need to know every rule. No, you don't. But as as we're as as you get more involved as a DM, mm-hmm. it helps to go back and yeah, you've learned the basics of combat, you've learned the basics of how skills work, but really take a moment to figure out what those nuances are as you as you grow and maybe you introduce a, f- a few more things every every session make sure you tell your player <laughs> of course uh, but but by doing that you're going to you're going to make the the decisions of the players more important yeah. as well as the decisions and actions of the enemies more important yes because just taking a step back from from who you're fighting could be a, a, a major turn of the tide in battle was something yeah. that's an attack of opportunity, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and again, going back to it, yeah, of course, you don't have to know every single rule, but at the very least, you should be familiar with the ones that apply to your players. So like a really great example, like my husband, he's um, a dwarf fighter. All the time, he uses his action surge. <laughs> All the time. And it's just one of those things where, like, you know, if it's something that you your players tend to use often enough, it behooves you as a DM then to be familiar with that same rule. Um, and then, sure enough, we had another player come in who also wanted to be a fighter. And so, again, it was like, okay, we're familiar with, like, the type of fighter they want to be, the action surge, that whole thing. Um, or second wind, you know, knowing those small things that you know are definitively going to... Um, affect your players is really important as well as other things like spells. I don't personally do it with my players, but there are DMs out there, of course, that like, you know, decide they want to implement those other parts of spells. Like you have to have certain materials and you have to do certain gestures and you have to say certain things. If you don't do them, your spell doesn't work. If you decide to take on that particular thing about spells, um, you need to know those details. You need to be familiar with them. And generally with, with spells, I have for the most part, left the details of understanding of how yeah. the spell works to the players because there, yes. there are too many spells out there for any one person to memorize all yes. of the stuff. Yeah. But that being said, is it, if, if you have a, a player that is that their go-to action is to use this particular spell and mm-hmm. every every session they're doing this five, 10, however many times, yeah. it may behoove you to, to take, a, 
take a moment and say, well, let's look at the details of this spell really, make yeah. sure that we're understanding. And you can do it out of the session mm -hmm. where, where you're not slowing up things, but um, understanding how it works. So if there's a saving throw, how does that saving throw yeah. calculate it? If it, if it affects a certain number of creatures, how yes. is that decided and, and things like that, rather than just going forward, because admittedly, um, players usually will get it right, but sometimes there's a, a little bit of an understanding gap. There. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, there are other things too, for example, like, um, you know, item characteristics, maybe only certain items can be used by certain classes or certain races um, that can't be utilized by others. So, you know, there's things like, oh, if you're going to, say, award someone with a particular artifact or a weapon, be sure you know what the details of that weapon are so that you can let the players know so that they know how to utilize it properly. Yeah. Um, and the last one I think is big is just, you know, obviously as the DM, you're going to be the one running the bad guys. So, you know, be familiar with the bad guys that you're running. You know, I had, um, I had a race that had goodness, it was like an immunity and a resistance to everything. <laughs> um, I was surprised that like, oh, it's resistant to this and this and this and this. And so, you know, um, my players really had to, to really be resourceful and creative in how they decided to attack this creature. Um, knowing those things is very important because, again, sometimes your players kind of fall into this rut of using the same things. Mm -hmm. When those things no longer work, you know, they have to know like what alternatives they can have. And that really goes into making your your encounters challenging. Yeah. Is if you if you as you plan them out, if you understand what those immunities, what their resistances are, what their strengths and weaknesses are, uh, it, you can really build something that that makes it more than just rolling dice and seeing if I hit. Yeah. You you have to um, maybe think about well, this didn't work because, and I, I don't know why, uh, because my DM just said that didn't do as much damage as you think it did. Yeah, <laughs> like why did it not work? Um, um, so maybe I need to try something else. Yeah. And and that, that gets to a little bit more of the, the creative thinking, the, the problem solving of mm -hmm. the game. Yeah. And I think it helps you better guide your characters too, or your, your players rather. We had a, a new player that recently came onto our group, and when he was deciding what weapons he was going to have, he was like, you know, maybe I'll just have a short sword and a long sword. And I was like, look, just from experience of the creatures that you come across, it would probably behoove you to have something that you could throw. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and sure enough, later in the game, they were fighting a creature that flies, you know. And so it was like, if the only other weapon that you had required you to be within a few feet of the creature, obviously that's not going to work. So fortunately, he had decided to get a pair of throwing daggers that allowed him to at least throw it um, at the creature to, in the hopes of doing some damage. But... As a DM, if I didn't have that experience and knowing those things, um, I wouldn't have been able to guide him to making that decision because otherwise he wouldn't have been able to participate in that combat. Yeah, and because he was a new player, mm -hmm. it really helped to, to give him at least a little bit of guidance there rather exactly. than just saying, oh, I've got a cool sword. That's yeah, all I need. slashing. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, and thank you so much for joining us on our 14th episode. We also want to extend a huge thanks to Darkwind, who, when we reached out to them some eight months ago, didn't know how this podcast would do, but they went ahead and sponsored a block of episodes. It's been great having you along for the ride. If you haven't checked them out yet, please go to play.darkwind.org and create a character to play for free. They've got this massive text-based world built out with continents, NPCs, and monsters, and so much more. And it's waiting there just for you. So go to play.darkwind.org and give them a try.
so moving on, I think the next skill that, that is really important is, is that improvisational ability, the, yes. the ability to think on the fly. Mm-hmm. As, as we discussed in, uh, in the episode on When Players Break Your Story, yeah. we, we often have t- times where players will do things that you never expected, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, take a road that you didn't think they would go down or talk to an NPC and decide to latch onto them in, in ways that you never expected. Yeah. Um, or, or just investigating something that, that was just a, an inane detail that you provided that they're like, oh, yeah. that must be important because he said something about it. Yeah, I didn't think this one through. <laughs> uh, but if you, if you have some improvisational ability, some ability to think on the fly, mm-hmm. and some of this requires a little bit of knowledge of what kind of the rules are and how, how you can use them to your benefit. Mm-hmm. But if you have that ability, you can deal with with those those player yeah. uh, deviations a lot easier and provide an experience that that oh I did this and this happened so mm-hmm. they're actually part of that <coughs> excuse me that storytelling process yeah and I think the other thing too is um, just generally thinking in 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 the bigger scheme of things of how your NPCs might respond to something um, for example like I was. I think we referenced this scenario earlier, but or in a previous episode, but you know, we had one where my players came across a necromancer and according to the story that I was playing, it would either result in them chasing the necromancer away or killing him, but instead my player decided that he was gonna try and barter with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's nowhere in the book. I'm like, ah, I don't know what like what the, what's supposed to be the response for like, hey, you wanna make a deal? So I just had to think in the moment, okay, well, if I'm a necromancer and this is a situation I'm approached with, what would my response be? What would I be willing to compromise on? What have the players done up to this point that would affect my decision-making? Have they killed any of my creatures? Did they come up saying, hey, no, we just want to talk? Like, you know, you have to think of those instances, you know, right like you were saying, on the fly. So it behooves you to kind of maybe practice that or at least something to keep in mind as you're, you know, bringing the campaign along. If you know... uh, situation is about to come up that involves your characters coming upon an NPC, it behooves you to think of those unpredictable scenarios. Yeah, and and one more to the whole being able to improvise is when you have players that unexpectedly don't show up or players that unexpectedly do show up uh, because you've got somebody that brings along a friend and said, hey, Joel really likes D&D. I thought he could just join to the table. Ah. Oh, great. Uh, (laughs) Reference our previous episode for that. (laughs) Um, But being able to kind of think of reasons why the the player's not there or how the new player kind of kind of meshes in with the party mm-hmm. without having to do this whole big thing yeah. uh, can be can be important too. And I I have been lucky in that a lot of my player disappearances have I've had some lead some lead time and I've been able yeah. to plan for it. So I made I built out little stories around why they're not there mm-hmm. and and had and in some cases if it was a player that just was gone for one session played it through with them in between sessions so that they came back and their timelines were meshed up. Yeah. Um, For unexpected players, you've actually had that more than I have. I have players come and go. And and, (laughs) I mean, honestly, like I I tend to be rather um, casual about it. Um, We had a player that was just, it was a one-time thing. He was a friend visiting from out of town, but he um, really wanted to play and join, see what it was all about. So we made a really quick build character for him and, 
our campaign was mid-session where our group was in the middle of a cave exploring. So we just, I just threw it out there that was like, oh, okay, you know, this was a particular wood elf that really upset an orc. Orc got mad at him, dragged him down there, shoved him into a barrel, and he was one of the many barrels that was discovered in one of the caves within the cave. Um, and that barrel was filled with mead, so he was also drunk for a while. <laughs> um, but random, completely on the fly, was it the best scenario in interweaving a character with the group? Probably not, most likely not, but you know, it was, it was for the time being in the moment, it sufficed. And, and oftentimes in those cases, it's the efficiency of being able to get back to the story yes. that's more important exactly. than the elaborateness of, of how they came to be exactly. part of the party. The rest of the group just was like, yeah, yeah, we're good. We that's just want to get the rest of the cave explored so we yeah. can get our reward. And now we're dragging this half drunken elf <laughs> along with us. It's totally fine. <laughs> Uh, but one thing that that I think has been a common thread as we've talked about all these cases for, for improv is that if you are more organized, mm -hmm. the improv can be less critical. Yes. Uh, because as we, we said in our NPC episode, if you if you build a couple of NPC backstories or personalities, you can always plug them into an NPC that you never expected your players to, to interact with. Yeah. Um, if you, if you, again, if you know the player's not going to be there or you know that they're, they're going to be there, um, you can build something, uh, you can build an explanation around why. Uh, so if you, the more you, the more you're organized, the more you kind of plan ahead and build out kind of a, a stable of, of things, yeah. whether they're reasons or, or NPCs or whatever, uh, it, the less that, that improv can bite you if, yeah. you're, if you're not as good at that. It, it definitely provides a more sound support system for you. And in the severity of those instances that kind of catch you off guard won't be so, you know, won't adversely affect you so much. Yeah, yeah. you won't be standing there going, uh, um, uh, uh, well. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's move on to, to the, um, the next skill for our DMs. And I think this is one that, that you really, yeah. <laughs> really get into. So I'm going to let you kind of kick yeah. it off. Yeah. So another skill I feel is good, and it's kind of a two-in-one, but, you know, research and storytelling, which I feel are, are very much related. Um, but, you know, for me, I, I, you know, we were talking about organized, and part of that is making sure you know what it is or anticipating what it is that you're going to present to your players. Um, Pre-built adventures, whether it's building your own or, or not, but for me, like, I do a lot of pre-built adventures. So, you know, I read ahead. I make sure that I know what's coming, um, anticipating, like, the bad guys that we're going to come across, you know, the scenarios. If I know them well enough and I know what they're going to look like, then I'll try to draw them on my grid map. I have, like, a, you know, big, huge grid map that I fold into quarters, and so each quarter is a different, you know, area that my players will come across. So I'll try to have that built out ahead of time so that it's just easier for them to go ahead and start and they don't have to wait for me to draw it. Um, you know, I, I like to plan out my music and I like to have images of the creatures that they're going to come across. And, you know, I'm only going to know that if I research ahead. And all of that goes into creating a story rather than just a bunch of words that you're throwing at the players. Yeah, I'm not just saying, hey, there's like four ghouls in front of you. Like I'm weaving a tale and it's going to, you know, involve my players. And there's, there's a whole difference there. But yeah, so definitely read ahead. You know, if, if you are doing a pre-built adventure, read ahead, know what's coming, you know, and then that way when you already know kind of like the logistics of what you're going to do in the game, then you can focus on the storytelling aspect. You, can, you get to enjoy it then too, you know, because no one likes scrambling trying to figure out the details. 
uh, one, it makes it really hectic for you as a DM and it makes it very tedious for your players. Yeah, and and it's it's kind of a matter of, so the organization piece tied in with the storytelling. Because if you're organized and you've gone through and spent the time reading through the, and you've done the research and you're reading through the, mm-hmm. the, the adventure or you're reading through your notes and you're familiar with your world, yeah. then when you get to a situation, you don't have to go through all the mechanics of, there are this many ghouls and the room is this shape by this shape. It's 76 you can, degrees inside. You can embellish that with words that, that actually paint a picture rather than just, hey, look, there's four ghouls, the room's 20 by 20. Yeah. And go. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's that, that details versus painting picture. Yeah. And the other thing, I think, with the storytelling piece is understanding how you as the DM work with the players to tell the story. Because it's not just you. You're not vomiting a novel on the players <laughs> you're you're working together and understanding how a they like to build a story and yeah. how b you like to build a story and how you can make those fit that's c <laughs> <laughs> there's a uh, calculation um um it really will will make the experience better for everything we've talked about this a couple of times oh yeah for um, sure and and i think the other thing too is is you know you get to um you know you get to involve like your character's actions like i sometimes have players in my group that like they have an action or they'll roll something and then that's all that they say. So I go ahead and like embellish their actions a little bit. You know, it's not just, uh, you know, Sven with his axe chopping off, you know, striking with his axe at this monster. I'll go in and just embellish it like with a roar and a cry of triumph. He slams his axe down. The body splits in half, blood gushing all over him. <laughs> you know, ah, you know, there's a whole thing there. And again, this goes back to it's more than just rolling dice. I mean, yes. you could you could play any number of games and roll dice, and you could even have combat and just roll dice and, and be like, oh yeah, we're, we've played the game. Yeah, you're done. But but you're this is a storytelling game, so yes. so if you can add in those details mm-hmm. that again enrich the players' actions, make them look cool because yeah. they've sliced open the body of this orc <laughs> or whatever. Drenched blood. Um, um, then, then it's that much better. And if if you do it enough, yeah. you can get to the point where the players start doing it too. Exactly. I and I think that's the idea is like you really want to sort of inspire and motivate your players to start creating their own embellishments. And it makes it really fun and interactive if you do. So... Anything else on storytelling? <laughs> no, that's a bit. I think we've told enough of that story. All right. So, so next skill. Um, this one is a. It's a toughie. It's. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the most pleasantest of skills to have to have. No, no, but you need it. Yeah, it's conflict resolution. Mm. So we talked about in our dealing with problem players episodes a yes. lot of a lot of strategies, but if you don't have the. Um, the willpower, we'll say, mindset, uh, the mindset, whatever, to to uh, to do conflict re- resolution, it could really derail your game. Yeah. For a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. And and we all get it. Like conflict is in confrontation is certainly not something that people really enjoy. I mean, no one likes confrontation. Except Doug. <laughs> Doug. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know. It's just, it's important to know that like, yes, you know, if you decide to take on the mantle of DM, that that is part of it because your players are going to naturally, like naturally look to you for the resolution Mm -hmm. should circumstances arise. And this can be between players, like your actual players themselves. Um, It can be between their characters. Um, You know, it can be between you and the player. Um, And we've mentioned again, the previous episode, some strategies that you can utilize to help you address those different types of situations. But um, 
there, there's gonna, it's, it's guaranteed at some point in time, you're going to be at a crossroads and you as the DM is going to, are going to have to make that decision of what's going to happen next. And sometimes the, the player's not going to come out and say, I've got a problem with you. Yeah. You're, you're, you're going to have to pay attention a little bit to the demeanor of yes. players at the table. Know your players. And understand when something looks off. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I actually had this recently. I had a oh. player that, that, um, Everything was going great through the session. It was actually one of our better sessions. And at the end, just something changed. Mm. And and she was obviously not happy. And so after the session was over, I sent her a text and said, Hey, uh, is everything okay? You look like you were having a, a bad time at the end there. Yeah. And at first she was like, Oh, it's fine. It's fine. Mm. Um, but then a day or two later, she texted me back. There was something that the other players were doing that she was, mm-hmm. was not happy with, uh, particularly... Uh, kind of making fun of a particular trait of her character. She was a halfling. They were uh, commenting on high short jokes. Yep, and she I was understand. she was taking it somewhat personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had a, a conversation, and and then I had a conversation with the rest of the players. And, yeah, and and, and I, I let them be the be the people that decided what was going to happen, and they yeah. all decided in their own way to to come back to the table to make amends and things like that. But. But it was something that had I not been paying attention to the players yes. and realizing what was going on, mm-hmm. it would have, I probably would have had a player that just left. Yeah. No, that's, that's definitely important. I think in addition to the, the willingness to address confrontation is also, you know, the ability to hone the skill of like looking at the dynamics between players and yourself, understanding those, you know, those, when those, those things change when the, the personalities and the attitude and the atmospheres change, you know, being kind of sensitive to that, tuning yourself into that. Um, I mean, because that's something normally, like, you know, other players don't necessarily, they can, but it's for us as a DM, it, it becomes a responsibility. Yeah, and and it, it's one of those things where you have you have players and they've played at other tables mm-hmm. and there's certain things that they, that, that, that has become standard, regular behavior for them at these other tables. Yeah. And everybody comes from a different table in, in my game. Mm-hmm. So what's standard regular behavior for one is not standard regular behavior for the other. And, and thankfully, there's a lot of overlap. But mm-hmm. just being able to identify where there's where there's issues and, yeah. and being the ar- arbitrator of that. And I think the other part of that is like as a DM also trying to and maybe potentially anticipate if those circumstances arise and arise and doing things that you can to try and prevent it. Um, for example, like uh, we had a player... At one of at my group that like I knew, like his tendencies because he is just a very friendly, sociable guy. Like, you know, he will always try to start conversations, get to know people better. Um, and then of course he's always on his phone. So it was very much for me like bringing him onto the group, just letting him know ahead of time and reiterating to the rest of the group as a rules. Like, okay, here's some just things to know. You know, keep conversations to a minimum because we want everyone to enjoy the game. You know, cell phone use. Please try not to use your cell phones. Things like that. Just in anticipation that if it were to come, I would have rather him known from the get off that like, hey, these are my expectations mm-hmm. versus in the middle of the game and he's annoying me and, you know, because he doesn't know the rules. I never explained it, but now we're in this weird, awkward yeah. situation, you know, and, and if I, thankfully, like I said, I, I just nipped it in the bud before anything even occurred um, versus trying to address it mid game. And sometimes if you've got, if you've got those specific rules, like no cell phones at the table, it may be best to 
circumvent that conflict by just at the beginning of every session, hey guys, just want to remind you, you know, Remember. cell phones at the table exactly. and this and this, and let's go ahead and get started. And that way you're A, not singling anybody out, mm -hmm. and B, you're you're not having to deal with it when the activity is going on. Exactly. Yep. Hoo-wee. We're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> um, next on those skills is it, it's kind of like tying everything together. It really is. It's uh, the ability to multitask. Mm -hmm. Yep. And to, to my mind, there's a, there's a couple of ways to look at multitasking. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one is multitasking all of these things that we've talked about before. So yeah. you've got your, your storytelling skills, your conflict resolution, your, uh, your uh, improv and attention to detail and organization. And being able to do all those at the same time, it's mm -hmm. kind of like juggling burning school buses. So much is going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you're able to do that and, and really do it well... Uh, it can it can make your it can make your game run smoothly. Yeah, and and the thing is, again, you don't have to always take all of these on at one time. You can slowly integrate these things mm -hmm. into your role as you play each session. And and before you know it, you're doing all these things at one time. You're like a, a pro veteran DM. You know what's going on, and it's just like breathing almost. Um, th those are things that like you know. And these are like like we say basic skills that you know it's it's important for any DM to have. Um, but it can it can be like for me starting off as a new DM, I mean just even knowing just where to start and, and just even knowing how to implement a game and getting over my own insecurities about like whether I was even running a game that people would want to play, if it was even fun. There's a whole like just personal mindset that you have to attain as well. And and once you do, like, you know, the other part of this, the acquisition of appropriate skills it comes with time and your players grow with you and and that's the thing is to just be i guess the the thing is i'm getting at is just to be don't go too hard on yourself be yeah. easy on yourself like these obviously are great things to have but just because you may not be doing one of these things or a couple of them or you're not the very best at some of these things doesn't make you necessarily a bad dm I would agree, and and there's a whole imposter syndrome thing. We could probably have a completely separate conversation on <laughs> yeah. um, that. That I think most DMs need to to spend some time realizing that it's something that is out there and they need to get over. Yes. Um, on the on the subject of multitasking, one of the things that I really like to do on the multitasking front is when your players start having conversations. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're getting ready for uh, for an encounter or deciding on something, and they're going back and forth and and discussing amongst themselves. I won't say arguing because you're usually they're, they're like, Oh, well let's try this. Oh, what, what about this? And, yeah. And I will use that time. Yeah. I'm, I'm keeping an ear out to try and hear what they're saying, mm -hmm. but because they're not doing anything yet necessarily, it doesn't affect the game. So if I miss something, it's not that huge of a deal. I'll look up, look up a rule that maybe I was, was meaning to, to look up or that there was mm -hmm. a question about earlier or I'll, I'll read ahead in the encounter just to make sure I'm remembering this thing. Yeah. So um, taking advantage of those that player interaction time where it is a player interaction part of the game and not yeah. just them conversing about the game last night or whatever um, can can make it easier for you if you've if you've dropped the ball in organization or if you yeah. if you if you've dropped the ball in any one one of these things it can help you pick it back up. No, absolutely. And for me, I feel very fortunate in that. I have to. I happen to have a group that very much focuses quite a bit of time on strategizing, <laughs> so it definitely allots me um, a decent amount of opportunity to, yeah, look ahead in my campaign and see, okay, they're probably going to come across this. This is where the bad guys are. Let me get my, you know, little figures, my miniatures together. You know, 
get myself ready, you know, in anticipation of that encounter um, or like refreshing my mind on certain rules. Uh, so I'm fortunate I have a group that allows me that opportunity. Um, but, you know, when we're talking about your players too, I think a lot of, a lot of times, I think a lot of people get this mindset when they become a DM that like, they just have to take the weight of everything and you don't necessarily have to. Again, every DM is different. Like mm -hmm. what you do as a DM is, is going to be different from what I do as a DM. Um, but if it's any consolation to those of you that are out there that are newer DMs like myself, there is, you know, there still is, you know, um, there are certain tasks roles and skills and I think I've referenced this in previous episodes that like you can delegate to your players like you Absolutely. don't have to take the weight of the world that you've built uh, <laughs> on your shoulders there are things that if you know someone has a very like you know someone's particularly good at x y and z there's that potential to maybe delegate it so that you can focus your efforts on something else that's a little higher on your priority list um in my group we have uh one individual who is pretty much like our historian because it just happened to be as I noticed when we were playing, I would take notes from the previous session of our campaign, and every session he came, he was very much prepared, printed notes, indented, outlined, bullets, everything. <laughs> I mean, it was so, like, detail-oriented, thorough, well-organized notes. He brought them every session. I was like, well, obviously both of us are doing notes, and his are far, far superior to mine. So we went ahead and, and asked him if he wanted to be the group historian. So he went ahead and agreed, so he kept track of all of the notes um, and all of the things that happened in previous sessions. Um, I have another individual who handles all of the funds and treasures that they've acquired, mm -hmm. delegates them, or not delegates them, but he distributes them um, and then keeps track of what the group fund has. Uh, and then I have a, a third thing where, hey, we have like kind of a, a unofficial leader of the group. So when there is like a bit of a... Um, he handles the conflict. He does, he really does. Like when there's an impasse, you know, players are at an impasse and they can't make a decision, it's delegated to him. Um, obviously, if, if it gets to a high enough scale where I have to intervene, then I will. But, you know, you can offload some of that if you're comfortable as a DM, if your players are comfortable with it. There is some that you can kind of give to your players um, as a responsibility and therefore it kind of alleviates that for you and allows you to sort of focus your efforts elsewhere. Yeah, and one of the things that I have done on at my game for Pathfinder, one of the players in our game has all of the all the rule books in PDF format on his oh. iPad. Oh, and well. so <laughs> if I'm if I'm looking for a specific rule that I, I just don't know off the top of my head, yeah. I'll say, Hey Lee, can you look this up real quick? And mm -hmm. he'll do a search and, and have it quicker than I could even get the book out. Yeah. Beep, boop, beep. So so uh, again, that delegation can can make things more smooth, even yeah. if you have a situation where you're you're like oh what 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 am I supposed to do here? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's uh, what we wanted to talk about. Yeah, that's a lot of a lot of skills. Uh, but again, if you have something that maybe you thought was a skill we didn't mention, mm -hmm. we'd love to hear about it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And and we'll we'll add it in the mid roll in a future episode. Mm -hmm. uh, just go to becomingdm.com, click contact, or reach out to us at facebook.com/becomingdm or or at becomingdm on Twitter. But uh, I think that's all for our episode today. Mm -hmm. So until next time, stay, stay nerdy, nerdy, friends. Thanks again for listening. As you probably know, the best way to help this show grow is by you sharing it out to your friends. So share out our links, becomingdm.com. If they're on Facebook, facebook.com slash becomingdm. Or on Twitter, it's at becomingdm. Thanks again. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Felicia Martinez. The show is edited by John Welsh. 
We'll see you again in two weeks.